0: Hello, everyone. Do you like reading? Do you like walking? Do you like thinking about your life? Then we have got something for you.
1: Our Common Ground pilgrimages are going to be announcing our slate of fall and winter 2020 pilgrimages. On March 2nd. So if you sign up for our newsletter at readingandwalkingwith.com, you will be the first to know when registration launches and only people on our newsletter will get 30 minutes early registration access and it's first come first serve. So signing up first might mean the difference between getting a spot or not.
0: There's less than 20 spots on each pilgrimage and one of them might be involving me and a book that we all love.
1: So you're talking about you leading a pilgrimage with, he's just not that into you?
0: A hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> oh my
1: God, I'm there.
0: <laughs> so that's readingandwalkingwith.com. Sign up to the newsletter. Be the first to know about our pilgrimages this year.
1: Chapter five, the order of the phoenix. You're my dear old mum. Yeah said Sirius. We've been trying to get her down for a month, but we think she put a permanent sticking charm on the back of the canvas. Let's get downstairs quick before they all wake up again. I'm Vanessa Zoltan And I'm
0: Casper Ter-Kyle.
1: And this is Harry Potter in the Sacred Text.
0: When I was growing up, I was a little boy in the county of Sussex, an hour outside the big city of London. And a couple times a year, my mum would take us to London on this kind of day trip, and we'd always go during the Christmas season. It was exciting to go see, you know, all the shops decorated, their window displays on full bloom. And we'd always walk through Trafalgar Square, where inevitably there was the most enormous Christmas tree. It was bigger than even the bigness that you're thinking of, especially as a little boy. It was just a towering, gargantuan tree, a real tree filled with lights, more than 500 lights in this tree. And it was just this magical, otherworldly thing in the middle of the city. And I didn't think too much of it until I learned the story behind this tree. The tree is a gift from the people of Norway to the people of Britain to commemorate Britain's help in fighting off the Nazi invasion in the Second World War. Norway was remarkably able to withstand a Nazi invasion with the help of the allies for much longer than anyone expected. And to this day, every year, they send this tree as a sign of gratitude for coming to their aid in their time of need. And it strikes me that it's been over 70 years since the war started, since Norway was invaded in 1940. And yet every year, this tree keeps arriving. They choose a tree. There's a special boat that it goes on. And It's this testament of thanksgiving through the years. You know, no one is really left from that generation and yet this gift keeps coming. And as we read this chapter through the theme of gratitude, I was really trying to think, when does gratitude end? Is there a time limit to how long we should feel grateful? Is gratitude itself timeless and everlasting? And when does gratitude start to become a burden? is it sometimes important to forget things and kind of leave the past be in the past? The tree is so beautiful, but I think the questions are more complicated than this sign of, of friendship and gratitude that appears in central London every year.
1: What a remarkable story and piece of trivia that I had no idea about. But that's so interesting that you've complicated it because I think I love that Norway still sends this tree because it's saying like, still, we wouldn't exist the way that we do because of you.
0: Well, but also like, does it become a burden? You know, we've moved from personal experience, right? The relational gratitude to a formality. I don't know. I can imagine if it was my life and every year I had to give a gift for something that someone had done for me, you know, 70 years ago. After a while, I might get a little resentful.
1: (laughs) No, I totally understand. And I think it depends on like how much of a pain it is. But I can also imagine being proud, like every year saying like something from my country is in the center of your country. I think it depends on the relationship, which I'm sure we'll get more into as we dive into the chapter.
0: Well, Vanessa, before we dive into the chapter, let's remind ourselves what happens in it with a 30 second recap. I will time you okay with my non-digital watch
1: Ooh. i know
0: we're going old school today so 30 seconds the order of the phoenix go
1: So, Harry is sort of getting oriented to the house and Grimmauld place and everybody says hi to him. And then um, Molly is like, everybody go to bed. And Harry's like, no, but I want to hear what's going on. And Sirius is like, he has a right to hear what's going on. You're not his real mom, Molly. And Molly's like, he's not James Sirius. And they have a big fight. And then Harry is allowed to stay and hear everything that's going on. And Ron and Hermione, like, basically everybody except Ginny gets permission to stay, much to Molly's chagrin. And then um, they find out everything that's been happening. And then they all get sent to the bed at the very end. (laughs) Whew.
0: That was good.
1: Thank you. On your mark, get set go yep.
0: so this whole chapter is sort of an adaption of august osage county it's like one long dinner scene where everyone hates each other and shouts at each other it's really great theater if anyone ever wants to adapt it for the stage um also we have like cameo appearances by creature we know that snape's still walking in and out dumbledore is absent what's going on we hear about the plans for the ministry that they they need people like mundungus you know down in the in the you know underworld and um yeah and then Molly and Sirius really have at it. Yeah.
1: Are you talking about August O'Sage County, the play or the movie?
0: Well, I've only seen the movie.
1: Oh, I've seen both.
0: Well, so has my husband and he loves the play.
1: The play is one of the most brilliantly staged plays I've ever seen.
0: Don't you think this is kind of similar?
1: Sure. <laughs> So Casper, I'm wondering if you think that Harry should be grateful for the fact that Mundungus apologizes. Right in the beginning of the chapter, Harry comes into Grimwald's place, Mundungus is there, and the first thing he says to Harry is, I owe you an apology. And so I was just wondering how, how we feel. I feel like we're in a real culture of apologies right now you know, in the wake of the Me Too movement, there's been a lot of really interesting conversations about what makes for a good apology Mm -hmm. and what our reactions should be to apologies. So I'm wondering what you make of this.
0: Uh, I mean, I think it's difficult to take Mundungus seriously in this chapter because it, you know, words are one thing, but actions are another. And we see him very soon, like bringing in more stolen cauldrons. And, you know, he's appraising the family silver and basically Mm -hmm. saying he's going to steal it and sell it. The safety and the protection of the order is not Mundungus's first priority. And so to apologize for something, but to behave in the same way as you were before, I feel like, okay, you, this person might have recognized what they've done wrong, but I definitely don't feel gratitude for it. Yeah. What about you?
1: I don't know. I agree with you that we certainly don't see any sign that Harry is grateful. I just, I guess I thought it was noteworthy that Mundungus even offers a perfunctory apology. I don't know why. Are my standards for Mundungus (laughs) so low that I'm like, you did a basic human thing?
0: You know why Mundungus stands out, I think, is that no one else is apologizing to him. Like, Harry's had this intense experience of suffering. And really, Mundungus is the only person who, who says, like, I screwed up. And there may be good reasons why everyone else is doing what they're doing, but Harry doesn't know that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It must feel good to have an adult apologizing to Harry Mm. because in the previous chapter, we see Hermione apologizing all over herself, right? But it's different when somebody who has the same amount of power as you is apologizing. There isn't really anything different that Hermione could have done. I guess I do think it's meaningful that an adult is apologizing to a child. That is something that happens really rarely.
0: Yeah. And it invites the child to a level of maturity, which we see so much in this chapter, that all the kids want to be at the table. They want to know what's going on about the order. They want to be inside all the secrets. And the big fight that happens is that Molly says, no, you know, your your children, even the twins who are of age, like they're still at school. And so they're not allowed to be members of the order. So that line of adult and child is really at stake in this chapter, really century. I hadn't thought of that. That's cool.
1: Yeah. Let's dive into that conversation with Molly, though. I mean, poor Molly.
0: There's a lot of feelings.
1: There's a lot of feelings. That fight between Molly and Sirius. So
0: intense.
1: I was like, I think I should stop reading because this feels private. I know. (laughs) The same thing. I was like,
0: it's inappropriate for me to be witnessing this.
1: Yeah. We're not close enough friends. I'll just put the book down. Uh,
0: Because, I mean, it opens with Molly saying like, He's not James. Way to name the kind of transference, which is absolutely going on between Sirius and Harry. And it's what's so powerful about that dynamic is that it's both ways, right? Harry is projecting a father figure onto, or even an elder brother figure onto Sirius, and Sirius is transferring his friend onto Harry. And so it's this very, very powerful dynamic. And then Sirius says, you're not his mother. And Molly says,
1: he's as good as, who else has he got? I mean, first of all, let's talk for like 10 years about all of that. I had not thought about your amazing point that Harry and Sirius are both projecting James onto each other.
2: Mm.
1: It's almost play acting. They get to pretend that he's sort of alive. And by doing that, you know, it's so interesting because Sirius and Harry have spent so little time together, right? Less than a week together in actual time. And I think that that transference allows them – to fake an intimacy with one another by James sort of like being in the room somehow between them. Mm. But then, yeah, Molly. I am wondering how Harry feels about this speech of Molly's. Molly saying like, he's as good as my son. I would imagine that that must feel so good. And then hearing who else has he got. I feel like that would undercut any gratitude I felt. It's Mm -hmm. just because I don't have anyone else.
0: Oh, really? I read that so differently. I read that actually as this, like, very beautiful sacrificial thing of, like, I will love him because no one else can. Like, I will protect him. But I can imagine Harry feeling grateful to know that she wants to protect him and that she cares for him and that he sees serious caring for him and that they're kind of struggling over who loves him the most, right? He's grateful for the whole kind of performance of this fight happening, Because he's just, you know, had so many weeks on his own feeling like no one cared for him.
1: Right. Right. I mean, Petunia and Vernon would be like, I hate him more. (laughs) No, I hate him more. And then 24 hours later, he's in a room where people are like, I love him more. Right. I think you are right about Molly's intentions. And I do think that it's this very primal thing. I mean, I'm just thinking about it more. And I think it's my own stuff that's projecting this onto Molly. I'm just reminded of a story of a friend of mine who... His older sister passed away, and he told me a story just about at Shiva after the funeral, he was talking to his father, and his father said to him, you know, I love all of my children equally, but his older sister, she never had the developmental ability to leave the house. She lived at home through her mid-40s, and so the father said to my friend, you know, I love all of you so much, but you love the ones who need you the most, Mm. so I loved her the most. And what was so interesting was my friend was telling the story and he was just so touched by it. He wasn't hurt by it at all. He was like, of course you loved her the most. She lived with you for 45 years. Like I left the house when I was 18, you know, so we do love the things that we care for. And even though it logically makes sense to me, I just think that I have such a sense of like, I don't want people to love me because they think I need them. I want people to love me for some like unique thing that makes me me that like isn't real. This is just entirely ego driven. So I think that you're right that Molly's calling is like high and pure and good. And I just still think if I was in Harry's body, I'd be like, hey, I don't need anyone. I'm 15.
0: (laughs) What's interesting to me is also serious in this moment. And how ungrateful he is, actually, in some ways, to Molly, of all people, who is helping him kind of transform this horrible house that is his childhood home, who has looked after Harry so beautifully in the times when when Sirius couldn't, and who is sacrificing all sorts of things to help make the order run I mean like who's creating home base who's making sure everyone's fed who's the point person for all the other people who are coming and going there's an immaturity to Sirius's reaction which you know I think when we're ungrateful it's because our scope of our awareness is really small and it's just looking at our own perspective and that's where Sirius is at like he can't hold a bigger picture and be grateful for Molly he's just jealous and angry
1: I want to go back to what you said about when we're ungrateful it's because our scope is small hmm. that's brilliant right because like gratitude is it's perspective mm. right you know as i've talked about before i recently got diagnosed and then i because of my diagnosis which was such good news i got to like go on a pill and now i feel better and i just feel so grateful for my health and I think that it's only because I now have this added perspective of having been unhealthy for six months that now I'm so grateful for my health. And I mean, it'll fade, like give me a week, but I, I just love what you have to say about gratitude and perspective. I think that that is exactly right.
0: Well, and that's why I wanted to tell the story that I did about that tree that keeps on being given because it does fade, you know. And so I'm interested to think, like, does the action of embodying our gratitude in a gift like help us stay in that bigger sense of gratitude? Or does it just naturally shrink and grow and shrink and grow? And that's just the pattern of life? And, you know, d- does it become a burden? Because I can imagine Harry would have to thank, certainly the Weasleys, certainly Dumbledore, I mean, just everyone in his life forever to help him navigate these years in school. But that is exhausting. I don't think you can always stay in that level of gratitude day in, day out.
1: Well, and it's also embarrassing for the person who's being thanked, <laughs> like, right?
0: I'm fine. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well,
1: I just feel like I live this awkwardness with Stephanie Paltel uh. because, like, she changed my life, right, by being willing to do this Jane Eyre class. She did not get paid extra. It was extra work for her every week to sit in this room with me and watch me, like, try to figure out things that she figured out 30 years ago and, like, cry about being dumped and, like... She just like did not owe this to me in any way. And she changed the course of my life. And I feel like sometimes I go months without being grateful for her at all. And then other times I'm just like, oh, my God, Stephanie, thank you so much for changing my whole life. Nothing would have been possible without you. And she's probably like, "Okay, shut up. (laughs) I feel like both must drive her crazy. And once she said to me. I was like, I really can never pay you back. I don't know how to pay you back. And she was like, don't pay it back. Pay it forward. Mm -hmm. Other people did this for me. Please go do this for other people.
0: I love that. On just one level, I'm thinking like, harry taking forward the gifts he has been given is so true in this book like the founding of dumbledore's army is such a representation of the gifts that have been given to him but i'm also thinking suddenly of like norway's role in the international sphere like norway is often the thunder for conflict resolution work it's often a leader on environmental issues like the role that norway has played in the international sphere is paying it forward in some way and i'm just like That's the right response with gratitude, is not to try and like necessarily make it up to the person who gave you this unmeasurable gift, but like how can you give that to someone else who doesn't have it yet?
1: Right, and to some extent trying to pay it back, and I'm only thinking about Stephanie right now, almost belittles the gift, Yes, right? It's like we thank her at the end of every episode because like this podcast wouldn't have been possible without her, but like my whole life wouldn't be possible without her so like thanking her at the end of every episode like (laughs) it's a nice token
0: and it's not a loan that you want to repay right like it's something that it can never be repaid because it was a gift by definition oh i love this that's what gratitude is it's how you live your life towards the rest of the world
1: casper another place that i saw gratitude in this chapter was in sort of an immature and maybe annoying place Mm but maybe gratitude should never annoy me. Anyway, it's that Sirius and Harry seem to be really delighting in each other's misery. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. They are having a misery competition and having a great time. It's like, well, I was locked up for a month. You were locked up for a month. You at least got to go outside. Well, I was attacked by Dementors. You're so lucky that you were attacked by Dementors. And they seem to really be grateful that like, They're both locked up. I've just never understood this. When I have a bad day and somebody I love is like, does it make you feel better to know I had a bad day? I'm like, no, I love you. Go have a good day.
0: But isn't there that feeling of like you're not alone in feeling awful? Like there's some sort of shared frustration and and like... It's okay to have a really bad experience.
1: Yes. I think that somebody validating my bad experience and being like, you are not crazy to have those feelings is super important to me.
0: But it's different from what's happening here. You're right. This is more like one-upmanship rather than validation. Right. What is interesting to me is that Sirius is back in his parents' house. And I think, you know, we've talked about this before. Like, when you're back in your parental home, it's very easy to kind of, like, go back to being (laughs) that, like, nine-year-old child and getting into those dynamics, especially with with your parents. And Sirius has this, like, screaming mother who's just disowning him. And it's portrayed as funny in the book. You know, it's this, like, weird siren interruption every time there's a noise that she goes off and basically hates him but like that's a really hurtful thing to hear over and over again so i feel like sirius is actually in a very vulnerable place and isn't able to express that maybe very well and this kind of like sullen teenage angsty my life is worse than your life kind of behavior is his response to it like he can't be grateful for what he can give i mean how amazing is it that the order has an unfindable incredibly safe location which can act as a headquarters that's probably the most important thing that anyone has been able to give but he can't own that he just feels like everything he does is not good enough i think in part because this painting is shouting at him all day
1: Okay, I know this wasn't your intention, but you have properly shamed me. This must be really hard for Sirius, and it might be actually him, like, meeting Harry where he is and, like, trying to joke Harry out of the fact that he got attacked by Dementors, right, and, like, minimize it in a, like, sweet way. And, yeah, being shouted at by your mom all the time and being back in this house that you hate that has hate symbols all over it. Okay, fine. (laughs) It would be really hard for me to be grateful for anything if I was in that house too.
0: I think that's another thing about gratitude that's worth thinking about. Is like, there are times and places where it's easier to feel gratitude. Places of beauty, places of calm. You know, when we're not in relational stress, when we have time, we have to acknowledge those kind of structural pieces around us as well.
1: Yeah, and I have a really unhealthy habit of... When something feels scarce to me, feeling grateful for it. Mm. My partner's older daughter is 10, and any time she climbs onto my lap, I'm like, this could be the last time. Mm. (laughs) When the six-year-old does it, I'm like, we've got years. (laughs) But when the 10-year-old does it, I like sniff her head. But it is, it's like easier to feel grateful when there is a scarcity, like on vacation or like at a special meal. But I think that this is a great call to feel grateful every day.
0: This is a complete aside, but I'll say a final thing on on where I saw gratitude show up in this chapter. We hear from Lupin that the goblins might switch sides, that they might go from joining Dumbledore to joining Voldemort because Voldemort might give them more rights. And it made me think about how people or groups of people that are marginalized and oppressed are often portrayed as ungrateful for the rights that they have been, in quotes, given rather than experiencing absolute equality so this was often a rhetoric that you heard, kind of during imperial rule that the subjects of some distant country were ungrateful like we gave them the railways is the classic british argument and so that was just another kind of sparklet of of gratitude here Vanessa, it's time for us to swap up books and we're going to continue with our practice of marginalia. So I am opening your book. Ooh, I love seeing these scribbles. And you will actually see in my book notes in pencil from the last time that we read it when we ran Harry Potter and the Sacred Text as a class here in Cambridge, Mass. So those notes are like two years old. So I'm curious to see what we pick out from one another.
1: Okay, so I found something that I already love. Okay. You underlined, yes, said Mrs. Weasley, her lip curling. The thing is, it's been rather difficult for you to look after him while you've been locked in Azkaban, hasn't it? And you wrote, really bitter. (laughs) So interesting that you saw Molly as bitter. What did you mean by that? What is she bitter about? (laughs) That Sirius had, like, a rest while in Azkaban?
0: Gosh, maybe it does seem quite harsh. But what I was thinking was that she has had Harry's duty of care. She has taken on certainly the additional emotional labor, if not probably some financial cost, to a family that's already struggling with money. She has enough children, and this is just like an extra case, if we're going to think of it in that way, that she's kind of taken on. While Harry's official next of kin and caretaker is in Azkaban... I think you can know something is the way it is for a good reason and still be bitter about it. And I feel that's sitting in this moment between Molly and Sirius. Like, she's not going to blame him, but she's still really frustrated.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I do that regularly.
0: I think we all do.
1: Yeah. Like, if somebody gets into a really minor car accident on the way to your birthday party, (laughs) you're like, obviously this isn't your fault and I'm worried about you, but like, I also wanted you at my birthday party.
0: Well, I mean, feelings are inherently multiple. Like, it's not like we feel one thing at the same time. And it's that kind of complexity and diversity of feelings at the same time that in some ways causes the argument. If they only had one feeling, it would have been more of a rational conversation. But when we ourselves are mixed up in how we feel... Sometimes we only understand what we feel by, like, shouting about it out loud at someone else. Like, in the conversation or confrontation is where we unearth some of what we feel. Because sometimes we're ashamed that we feel bitter, or we're ashamed that we feel angry when someone needs care or whatever context that we're in like we don't want to feel those bad feelings but we do
1: it's like when your friend gets like a great new girlfriend and you're like oh i'm so happy for you but that means you're not going to be as available to like right hang out with me and i liked it when we could hang out all the time right like you're obviously so happy for them but you just like have all these mixed feelings and then the first time she treats your friend badly you're like yeah she sucks
2: <laughs>
1: right like these multiple feelings i do think if we're not clear about them or if we feel shame about them they can come out in these heinous ways like resenting someone for being wrongly imprisoned <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> okay so the thing that i'm looking at in your copy that i really enjoy is just one word with some punctuation in response to this sentence Uh oh. i look forward to it said serious harry heard the sarcasm in his voice but he was not sure that anyone else did and you just wrote Really? Question mark, exclamation mark. So this is interesting because what the text is telling us is that there's this connection between Harry and Sirius, like that Harry can hear what Sirius really means and the rest of the room can't. But I think you're right (laughs) that this is a story in Harry's head and everyone is really clear what's going
1: on. (laughs) Yeah. I just don't buy that they have this special connection. Mm. I think that their relationship is special. And I think it's special for historical reasons and even when you're not spending time with someone spending time thinking about someone matters it's an
0: imagined relationship as much as a real one
1: yeah and the imagined part matters and is real except that that doesn't mean that harry can like read his tone better than others right like that is something that only time and intimacy can really create and so i'm very skeptical of like the intensity of this relationship And it stinks, because I do think that had Sirius been free, he would have been a great surrogate parent to Harry. But it materially matters that he wasn't. It matters that you weren't here. It doesn't matter why, but you weren't. And so you can't read each other's voices. And yeah, they don't have a special connection. And I don't believe in magic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're expelled from the Harry Potter community henceforth.
1: (laughs) this week's voicemail is from Miriam Wilkes.
2: Hi Vanessa Casper, and Ariana. My whole life I've always felt very connected to the Weezy family and now that connection has grown even stronger for me. Over the past two years, my older brother has estranged himself from our family, leaving us essentially unable to contact him, and we have barely seen him in the past two years. My whole family have taken it incredibly hard. We're all incredibly family oriented and to lose a part of our unit has been particularly difficult for us. This has led me to read Percy's relationship to his family differently. In the coming chapters, we see Percy estrange himself from his family, and in the past, I have found myself accusing him and hating him for what he has done to them, and the hardship he puts his family through. But now, having gone through the same thing within my own family, I cannot bring myself to blame Percy. What he does is wrong, but as I know I still love my brother, despite what he has done, I cannot hate him, and I cannot hate Percy for what he does either. I hope that you will look on him with kindness in the coming books, as I hope do. Before I go, I would like to offer a blessing for the whole Weasley family. I know what you are going through. I am going through it too, and I know how hard it is. Stay strong, and do not give up on your love. I would also like to offer a blessing for Percy and for my brother. I know that it must be hard to be away from your family, and I know that you will find your way back to them when the time is right. Thank you all so much for making such a beautiful podcast. Bye!
1: Miriam, thank you so much for that beautiful voicemail. All three of us teared up in the studio. Mm. And then your very cheerful goodbye at the end was so lovely, too, because it got us all to just smile with you. So thank you for those beautiful words and then also for just ending on such a cheerful note.
0: And I'm glad we're playing this voicemail in this episode because there is a moment where Percy's name comes up and the whole table just goes silent. And we've got so many of the Weasley family around the table that, I can just really hear your experience reflected in that moment in the chapter where you just have to muddle your way through even though everyone's in such pain and it doesn't feel like the situation is immediately resolvable. So sending our love to your whole family and to your brother and to you. Thanks for sending in that voicemail.
1: Casper, it's now time for us to each offer a blessing. Would you like me to go first or do you want to go first?
0: Why don't you go first? Mm.
1: So I'm gonna... Quite obviously, bless Molly, but I'm going to bless her for the moment in which. It becomes clear to her, sort of one child at a time, that she cannot protect her children. Fred and George are like, no, we get to stay in this room. We're of age. Ron is like, I get to stay in this room. Harry's going to tell me anyway, which means Hermione gets to stay in the room. Harry obviously gets to stay in there, which she can't protect. And then poor Ginny, she's like, well, Ginny, I still have control over you. And I feel like even that, right, like she knows they're going to tell Ginny. And so I just want to bless her for how helpless you feel when you want to protect something you love and you know that you can't or you want to stop the suffering for someone who you love and you know that you can't and it just must be a terrible terrible feeling. So, I want to bless Molly. What about you, Casper?
0: My blessing is for Ginny and kind of for the exact opposite reason. <laughs> um we just see little flashes of Ginny in this chapter she's calmly and quietly collecting cutlery as all the drama starts to happen around the kitchen table she's very much at the edge of the conversations at one point she's kind of physically crouching as she's picking up corks and kind of listening in on the confrontation between Sirius and Molly I guess this blessing is for anyone who feels if you're the youngest in the family or if you're told that you don't understand or that you don't deserve to know or that you're somehow not ready for something when you feel like even if you're not ready you have to be because the world is changing and it's coming at you I just think we so underestimate Ginny at our peril we saw her strength in the second book and no one is talking about that in that moment no one is turning to her for expertise on how to handle Voldemort like maybe the biggest weapon that they have is actually Ginny's wisdom and she's sitting there amongst the corks Like, having to figure it out for herself. Well, we've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, and it feels like our episodes have gotten heavier since Voldemort's return.
1: Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and leave us a review on iTunes. Please send us a voicemail with a blessing or a minute or two long thought. We love to get them. And please come to our live shows in Denver, Chicago, Austin, Cambridge, Massachusetts, and then check us out in our bikinis in Florida.
0: Next week, we'll be reading Chapter 6 The Noble and Most Ancient House of Black through the theme of memory. This episode was produced by the incredible Ariana Nettleman, Vanessa Zoltan, and me, Casper Terkyle. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Ball, and we're part of the Panoply Network, where you can find ours and other great shows on panoply.fm. Thanks to Miriam Wilkes for this week's voicemail, to Julia Argy, Amanda Madigan, and of course, Stephanie Purcell.
1: Let's stop thanking Stephanie, and let's thank somebody else in honor of Stephanie. Fozzie Bear. <laughs> Underappreciated Muppet. Oh, you want me to do
0: work today? Oh, I don't want to do the work today. I don't really want to do the work today. I don't really want to do the work today. I don't want to do the work today. I don't know what you're doing. You don't know them?